Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Wednesday, August the 2nd, 2023. We're not kidding. It's definitely hot out there. You should totally stay inside and enjoy a nice coloring book or perhaps an ice cream sandwich because it is National Coloring Book Day and National Ice Cream Sandwich Day. Uh, my name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I am a connoisseur of a fine ice cream sandwich. Joining me is uh, another fan of uh, ice cream flavored desserts. That would be Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, how's it going? It's going pretty well. And I got to say, um, I think that it may be lost on some of our international listeners, but there is nothing like that soggy paper, that soggy, soggy chocolate, whatever. And then and then that 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 delicious kind of off box tasting vanilla ice cream and a good ice cream sandwich. You're missing it if you don't appreciate that. Well, the good news is, is that for our international and our domestic listeners, the news is definitely not soggy. It's crisp today. And we're going to be starting off with some excitement in the realm of high-performance computing and artificial intelligence because there are two groundbreaking projects that are set to redefine computational capabilities. The upgrade to Stampede 2, now creatively named Stampede 3, at TAC promises enhanced performance with hybrid architecture of Intel CPUs and Ponte Vecchio Max series GPU accelerators. This has been funded by the US NSF. On the AI front, Cerebrus Systems and G42's partnership continues to um, pay off with the massive Condor Galaxy One cluster that has 27 million cores and 41 terabytes of SRAM. Driving AI models with up to 600 billion parameters. These projects embody the pursuit of excellence and have the potential to revolutionize scientific discoveries and innovations. Stephen, what do you make of these two very different supercomputers? Yeah, this, this is an interesting story because these computers are so different and yet both are in the HPC space. And to the uninitiated, you may look at this and be like, oh, yeah, so there's two new supercomputers, so what? But the interesting thing to me is sort of what this all means. And I think that the, the takeaway is that HPC is rapidly sort of diverging in two directions um, or maybe more directions. But let's let's start with Stampede. So from my understanding, Stampede 2 never really happened. Uh, Intel failed to deliver. Stampede 3, uh, Intel did deliver and uh, they have delivered their latest, coolest stuff, uh, the Ponte Vecchio Mac. Uh, are a uh, very, very advanced tile-based uh, CPU-GPU combo with high bandwidth memory. Um, it is a heck of a chip, and uh, Stampede's got a whole pile of them, along with a whole bunch of uh, Intel Sapphire, Sapphire Rapids, uh, fourth-generation Xeons, um, a lot of Intel technology in that machine. But the thing that to know about Stampede is that it's not the same kind of machine that we've talked about recently on the rundown. This is not a uh, AI optimized or GPU optimized machine. This is really a CPU optimized machine, which is kind of a throwback to an earlier time when it was all about the CPU integer performance instead of all of these advanced floating point and uh, special purpose uh, computation engines. So Stampede is a different kind of supercomputer, but that being said, this is really, really a powerful one. And it's one that some of those more, um, I hate to say conventional, but I'm gonna say it, uh, supercomputing applications can make use of. So um, really an interesting choice here, everything from the uh, Intel components, and remember this is Intel delivering all their latest and greatest technology, uh, to the fact that it is really more of an old school supercomputer than some of these new things. 
Now, on the flip side, the other direction that uh, HPC is heading in, in my opinion, is uh, ML training as a service in the cloud. And that really is what uh, Cerebrus is doing here. So if you're not familiar with them, uh, Cerebrus is inherently cool. They're the ones that have the wafer scale architecture. Uh, we saw them at a, a field day event and it just took everybody's breath away when they pulled out that wafer and showed us, I mean, it's as big as a vinyl record and it's all uh, special purpose uh, ML accelerators and memory and interconnect and all that stuff built into the single wafer. And they actually use it as a single wafer. They don't cut it up like most um, systems do. And um, it is really massive scale. Uh, unfortunately, it's so weird and different that I think that the market, even though it's a really compelling product, I think the market has had trouble kind of figuring out how to absorb it, how to use it. Um, and, and a lot of people have fallen back on a more conventional uh, GPU, uh, distributed GPU architecture. So Cerebrus is doing uh, something here, I think that is uh, very, very smart, which is uh, partnering with a cloud service provider to build out a uh, AI training engine in the cloud. And uh, in this case, it is a conglomerate based in Abu Dhabi. Uh, they are, which is another interesting angle because of course, most of these supercomputers are based, uh, well, not in uh, the Middle East, they're based in uh, U the US, Europe and China. Uh, along with Japan and um, uh, other uh, similar countries, uh, to have this be uh, outside that sort of core tech complex, to have it be in a country that is, um, well, I guess seen as more neutral by many other countries, to have it be in the cloud, to have it be based on this radical CPU architecture and to have it be just so darn huge is pretty interesting. Now, I say based, but of course, uh, the initial deployments are going to be in the US uh, and they're going to have deployments all over the world, which I think is another interesting angle here. Just like AWS has regions all over the world, including multiple regions in the US and Europe, in the Middle East, Africa, Asia. Um, that's what uh, Cerebrus is doing with this guy. They're going to be having this thing have nodes all over the world and those nodes can interconnect and communicate and share the work in order to create sort of a virtual mega ultra super HPC system for ML training. So really, I feel like the, the Cerebrus one maybe end up being the more important story because in my opinion, what's happening with ML is that increasingly training workloads are going to go to these cloud systems as a service. And I think that it's extremely smart for them to be getting ahead of that and deploying something like this with a, a good partner, uh, a recognized, the global partner, and, um, and, and be rolling this out just in time to catch that wave of cloud-based training. As we're going to talk about in a minute, um, there's another trend of trying to bring that stuff on-prem, but I'm not sure that's really going to work. Tom, the SEC has decided that companies need to notify investors about security breaches quicker. Uh, new rules handed down from the oversight organization say that the public traded companies must disclose material incidents within four days of the determination. The companies must include the date of the incident, what data was compromised, and what remediation effects are. The only exception is that if the U.S. Attorney General determines that disclosure would hamper an ongoing investigation. Tom, uh, does this move force the hands of companies who are trying to keep these things quiet? Allow me to read from the book of Tom, chapter 1, verse 6. Thou dost not want the SEC all up in thy business. 
And that's exactly what happened here is that these companies started to play fast and loose with the rules. And well, we kind of maybe had something, but we don't know exactly what happened. And the SEC said, fine, now that I have to make a rule, the rule applies to everybody. As soon as you determine that it was an immaterial breach, you have four days to notify your investors with an 8K. You know, that big fancy legal thing that causes your stock price to fall. And that's exactly what happened. Now, here's where it gets tricky. What constitutes material? We hear about this all the time in acquisitions. Oh, we didn't have to disclose what we paid for them because the purchase price wasn't material to our bottom line. What's material to Cisco? Is going to be way different than what's material to your average startup. Now, this gives them a little bit of wiggle room, but I do think it will have one positive knock-on effect, and it has something to do with that last line that you said about the attorney general being able to determine if this is an ongoing investigation and could hamper things. Boy, that sounds like a big get-out-of-jail-free card, doesn't it? But in order to make that determination, you have to get law enforcement involved right away, right? So I think what we're going to see is that a lot more companies are going to be notifying the FBI immediately when they determine that there's a breach in the hopes that the FBI will get all up in there and figure out that there's an ongoing investigation that involves some kind of a nation state hacking group or an APT group. And, oh, we can't disclose this yet because it could, it could hamper an ongoing investigation. If you think back a couple of years to the Kaseya hack. And the fact that the FBI literally was right there the whole time advising these companies, don't pay the ransom, hold off on this. We've got control of the keys. You know, we want you to pay this, but we're going to track it. Like that's the kind of coordinated takedown that we're hoping to see from a lot of these more, you know, I don't know, organized gangs is the ability to get in there and roll up the whole thing. Well, the more reports that we get, the better that is. And I hate to make it sound like they're a bunch of craven capitalists, but man, if they can just hold off on that breach for another week and keep the stock price floating maybe above the end of the quarter, boy, that looks a whole lot better on their bonus structure. So um, yeah, I, I, I back this positively from the SEC because, hey, guess what? When you make a rule, now, now everybody has to follow the same rules. Um, I'm just curious to see how companies are going to try to negotiate around it because there ain't no negotiating with the SEC. Um, Stephen, we uh, heard from Lightbend, they introduced Calyx, which is a new offering focused on building distributed backend applications with an emphasis on event-driven architecture and serverless capabilities. Calyx abstracts away com complex proprietary cloud services with an opinionated event-driven and stateful platform, automatically scaling as microservices. Will this sort of abstraction attract enterprise developers or will they keep trying to use all of those existing AWS services? Well, one thing that we can say for sure is that AWS is going to introduce even more completely uh, inscrutably named services this year. Uh, that's just what they do. And uh, so does the so do the other companies in the cloud service provider world. It um, really has uh, this innovation has really, I think, hampered the uh, adoption of some of these technologies by developers, because frankly, um, there are so many services, so many different flavors, so many different things that you can do. And so many of them are really actually really cool and compelling that um, developers really have to uh, figure out quite a lot before they can even start. Um, I, I was going to say putting pen to paper, but putting code in, in, into their screen. Uh, Lightbend, I think the most important aspect of Lightbend that I want to call out is that it's opinionated. Essentially, Lightbend as a company is going to take a look at all of the services, specifically in AWS, and say, you know what, 
uh, these are the, the best ones. This is the best way to use these services. And this is what we think that customers should do in order to deploy microservices applications. This is actually, honestly, a very nice idea. I mean, it's almost a consulting service or a consultative solution for companies in that it makes it easy to deploy applications, uh, modern web-based applications, uh, you know, microservices-based applications in a, in a way um, without having to worry about all of the announcements at reInvent and uh, all the other uh, events that we're going to talk about later. Uh, that being said as well, this uh, kind of feeds into that whole uh, super cloud, hyper cloud discussion that we had at Cloud Field Day last time, where we talked about the fact that any kind of abstraction layer, uh, by definition, is going to miss some of the value of the cloud because, uh, you know, frankly, if you're not using the cloud services natively, you aren't uh, able to, you're, you're kind of trapped in that platform and you aren't able to really make the most of all of these developments. But the flip side of that is that, you know, each of the clouds has so many different services that are incompatible and do different things that it's really hard to actually try to build any kind of a multi-cloud solution because without an abstraction platform, because frankly, um, you just kind of can't use those things. Uh, some companies are trying to do this uh, sort of willy-nilly, you know, trying, let's adopt, you know, the, these two things are similar, so I'm going to figure out a way to make it work this way and this way. And, and that's really, really hard to do. So I have to say that I'm impressed with what Lightbend is doing here. I think that Calyx is going to be a, um, a, a successful product for them. Um, but I think that essentially they're going to approach customers with this thing and the customers are either going to have a, yeah, I'm sick of this stuff. Let me just jump on Calyx or alternatively, alternatively, a no way in heck would I um, um, abstract everything and only use the things that you think I should use. Um, and uh, luckily, that'll probably make their sales process pretty easy because uh, if customers love it, they're going to love it. And if they don't, well, move on to the next customer. So I think it's a great, uh, a great move for the company. I think it makes uh, a lot of sense for them. And I'll be interested to see how uh, microservices uh, web scale developers uh, adopt this product. Tom, some of the biggest names in HPC and hyperconvergence are banding together to standardize Ethernet. I know you thought Ethernet was already standardized, but this is a new Ethernet, Ultra Ethernet, which is a consortium that includes AMD, Broadcom, Cisco, HPE, Intel, and others. Uh, chairman and friend of the show, and you and me, Jay Metz, says that the goal of a consortium is to tune Ethernet for workloads with specific performance requirements. I think the delegates at NFD uh, last week were actually pretty impressed by this thing. Uh, the companies uh, involved are selling very high-speed Ethernet focused on HPC and AI workloads. Um, but notably absent from this list is an HPC and AI 100-pound uh, gorilla, NVIDIA. Why do we need another consortium for Ethernet? And what's going on here, Tom? So I can explain this with two words, packet spraying. Yes, that is actually a term. Um, as you mentioned last week at Networking Field Day 32, uh, Broadcom presented on some of their latest advances in their chipsets for AI and uh, ML workloads, specifically the Jericho 3 AI chipset. And one of the things that they talked about was the need for Ethernet to kind of adopt some different um, characteristics in order to compete with InfiniBand. You know, that thing that Mellanox made that NVIDIA bought that runs a lot of AI workloads right now. What they're hoping with this Ultra Ethernet Consortium is that they can more or less standardize the way that these 
add-ons to Ethernet work. When you look at what Cisco's doing and what Broadcom is doing, they're doing roughly the same thing, but they're approaching it from a slightly different perspective. And the Ultra Ethernet Consortium is designed to make sure that everybody is playing on the same field because one of the big values that Broadcom, Cisco, Intel, Arista, whomever is touting about Ethernet versus InfiniBand is that, oh, well, it's Ethernet. You know how Ethernet works. You know how it runs over the cables. But is it really Ethernet? I call back to one of my favorite quotes that, Stephen, that you've mentioned from Bob Metcalf. I don't know what the future of the network is going to look like, but we're going to call it Ethernet. 800 gig Ethernet doesn't look anything like 10 meg Ethernet, but we're going to call it that. In order for that to happen, it has to be standardized. And so this is what the Ultra Ethernet Consortium is designed to do. And yes, if you read between the lines of what our friend Jay Matt said, you know, workloads with specific performance requirements, that literally can be spelled by saying AI. That is what they're trying to do. They're trying to unseat InfiniBand as the dominant form of internet or network connectivity for these workloads. NVIDIA is not falling behind either. Um, they are reportedly developing some Ethernet standardization for their Bluefield 4 DPUs. But again, if you need a DPU to do it, is it really Ethernet? So I'm going to be very interested to see kind of where the Ultra Ethernet Consortium takes off from here. I know that with the backing that they've got, we're going to see a lot of companies that are, you know, kind of buying in. The question is, will it be enough to unseat, unseat InfiniBand? All right, Stephen, speaking of AI, Dell Technologies and NVIDIA have partnered to launch Project Helix, which is an initiative designed to create a secure on-premises environment for generative AI training. This is a joint effort with a complete blueprint and a series of full-stack solutions based around Dell and NVIDIA infrastructure and software that leverages Dell PowerEdge servers and the NVIDIA H100 Tensor Core GPUs for networking. Will this con collaboration give enterprises in a uh, new AI option or is kind of doing this on-prem too little too late in the face of all of these emerging AI clouds? Yeah, I, um, I tend to worry that it might be the latter. So essentially, let's take a look at what's going on in the industry right now. As we know, there's been a, a huge uh, tech recession. Um, big tech companies have been laying off employees. Uh, they've slowed spending and R&D. Uh, they are very, very careful on uh, developing new technologies. At the same time, uh, everybody from hyperscalers to the data center have slowed purchasing, and they have decided to elongate the lifespan of their equipment. Um, many applications are moving to the cloud uh, with uh, companies like AWS and uh, Microsoft, Google, and uh, IBM um, reaping the benefits of uh, this uh, adoption of, of cloud computing. Um, but even the cloud providers aren't buying too much anymore. But there's a bright spot, and that is uh, AI and machine learning training uh, clusters specifically. Essentially, uh, NVIDIA every freaking quarter shows uh, beautiful, beautiful numbers, uh, selling all of those delicious A100 and H100 uh, and more uh, products. And uh, I think that that, that has uh, rightfully scared some of the uh, competitors in the technology space. Now, uh, companies like Supermicro are doing pretty well uh, because they're building some of the core components of those AI clusters. But if you're a company like Dell uh, that is predominantly selling into uh, the enterprise data center and um, the more traditional uh, servers that are found in cloud compute, 
then you may say, you know, I'm pretty worried that uh, AI and machine learning might be the direction the industry is going in. So what do you do? Well, you do what Dell did, which is uh, basically call up Jensen Huang and say, hey, uh, let's develop a joint offering for the data center. And it's not a bad one, I have to say. I'm, I'm pretty happy with what Dell is doing here. I feel like this is the, a good direction. It is the kind of thing that a uh, company that wanted to adopt their own um, or build their own uh, machine learning cluster could absolutely do. Uh, Project Helix looks good. It uses Dell servers. It uses H100 Tensor, Tensor Core GPUs. It uses uh, NVIDIA's networking. Um, basically a lot of really best of breed products here. And it uh, puts it all together in a way that really will uh, support the latest trends in generative AI. And frankly, the, the, the design is solid. Uh, the product looks solid. And I think that if somebody wanted to build their own uh, machine learning cluster on-prem, uh, this would be the way to do it. That being said, I think a lot of those customers are going to look at it and say, you know what? No, I think it would be smarter for us to leverage cloud-based machine learning training, even though it's expensive, um, even though it's difficult to ship data back and forth. I think that it would be better to leverage uh, some of the services that are being offered by not just hyperscalers, but dedicated um, AI training in the cloud offerings like we've covered here on the rundown recently, and, um, and, and maybe hold off on this kind of spending. Uh, that doesn't uh, spell good news for the enterprise tech sector because essentially it means that uh, more of the same. But I think that eventually, uh, you know, you can only elongate the uh, server uh, refresh cycle so long and uh, companies are starting to report an uptrend in sales anyway. Um, I, I haven't heard specifically on that from Dell, but uh, others in the industry, uh, companies like Seagate and some of the memory providers and so on are saying, you know, that server builds are actually starting to rebound, which means that essentially this offering may end up not being a huge success for Dell, even though it's absolutely the right uh, direction, technologically speaking. Tom, Amazon has announced that they will now be charging for IPv4 addresses on instances. Uh, previously, AWS didn't charge for primary addresses, but did charge for secondary ones, as well as idle addresses that the account wasn't using. Um, Amazon cited rising costs for the addresses, with which prices have risen uh, over 300% in the last five years. The price for an address will be a half a cent per hour. The AWS free tier has 750 hours of usage per month included, but only for the first 12 months. Tom, uh, will this change encourage users to migrate to IPv6 or are we just seeing an IPv4 tax? Well, I think it will because in the blog post that we're gonna link in the show notes, the, the Amazon people literally said, this should make you reconsider your accelerated deployment of IPv6. And as our friends, you know, Ed Horley and Chris Cummings and, and a lot of the other folks who are big champions of IP, IPv6 have continually brought up, it's not something that should be on your roadmap. It should be something that's in your, in your product right now or in your offering. And the reason for that is because we aren't making any more V4 addresses. And that's basically what Amazon is signaling here. Like we've seen the, the resale price of these going up on the secondary and tertiary markets. And in fact, um, companies like Aaron are even trying to reduce the ability of these things to be resold without using them as a broker so that they can kind of keep an eye on them. But with Amazon, what they're effectively saying is you need to have a really good reason to be using one of these now. Um, with the advent of DNS, with the advent of you know provider independent address space in the V6 world, 
with the advent of the fact that pretty much everything runs in the cloud on DNS anyway, um, what's the value of continuing to use this? Yeah, I know it's it's easier to, to just fall back and use it. It's also easier for me to uh, look over my shoulder when I'm backing a car up instead of using the backup camera, even though we all know that the backup cameras are far superior. And it's just gonna take time for people to get trained on not doing this anymore. And um, just like my good friend and uh, mentor in college, Dr. Cart said, there's only two ways to motivate people, fear and greed. I think Amazon has, uh, has decided that greed is the way to go here. Um, and if you don't think a half a cent an hour per address is going to add up over time, think about how many addresses you would typically consume in a cloud elastic service. I think what we're gonna see is a lot of companies are gonna start really, really reconsidering do we need this much space? Can we do it without? Can we do something where like we have one public address on a load balancing system and then we use V6 to interconnect to all the systems that it's round robining between? I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can kind of, I don't know, work around this, but, but Amazon's basically saying you better or we're going to get even filthier, stinkier rich before it's all said and done. Stephen, uh, Vast Data introduced their data platform, which is an AI-focused offering that adds database technology to traditional storage to support AI-assisted computation. The platform includes components like Vast Data Store for scalable storage of unstructured data, Vast Database for real-time analytics, Vast Data Engine for fast queries, and Vast Data Space for seamless data storage across different environments. Does this mean that VAST will be able to win over customers developing data and AI applications, or is this crossover going to fail to find an audience? Yeah, I, I think that uh, this is a really interesting product. I mean, first off, I think that um, I'll just come right out and say that, that VAST has a really excellent storage platform. I mean, this thing is a, uh, a scalable uh, platform for uh, files and objects. And uh, they've done a really fantastic job developing this. And it's been uh, found really widespread acceptance. The company has grown and grown. And I can't be more proud of the, the team that has put this thing together. Uh, we saw them first at uh, Tech Field Day many years ago when the product was just coming out. Um, and the, the development that they've made, and uh, both in terms of technical product and marketing, has been really phenomenal. And as we talked about on the rundown here, uh, they recently scored a uh, OEM deal uh, with HPE so that HPE is going to be using VAST's uh, technology in, in the future as well. So all of this uh, bodes really, really well for VAST. But as uh, founders uh, told us on a recent briefing, um, from the very beginning, they looked at this not as just a storage array, but as a data system, um, literally a database, a massive database server. Um, the system has the ability to uh, store data and uh, retrieve it and um, build, uh, you know, serve queries and even run computation. Um, it has a, uh, a, you know, it can handle both uh, row form and columnar form data. It can handle um, data queries. Uh, it's not yet, um, you know, a full SQL server type thing or even a uh, NoSQL database. It is its own data platform. And uh, the company has been adding these data features to it for a long time, uh, quietly, and then has uh, just announced it uh, that they're going to be supporting this. So all in all, they've, they've got a great technical platform here. And I think that it could be really attractive to companies since it does things that other comp competitors don't do. Um, the idea that it could directly support uh, AI uh, training applications, for example, 
without needing to do a bunch of uh, data processing or uh, data extraction. Uh, that's really pretty powerful um, when you look at some of the competitors in the data lake space that really just don't have that capability. Um, and, and frankly, the performance that Vast has shown for years is uh, just uh, phenomenal and really will, I think, be an eye-opener in the uh, data and analytics field. Uh, the challenge for the company, as is the challenge for any a company, anytime they're moving into a new market, is uh, how do we actually move into a new market? How do we attract a new type of customer? How do we make sure that the product we're offering is what they're looking for and the words we're using and the sales process and the um, support process and everything about it is able to support that customer? That is, I think, the biggest challenge for Vast. They've built a product. Now, how do they get it in the hands of the people that want to buy it? And if those people are um, data scientists, uh, machine learning uh, developers, that sort of thing, uh, you know, Vast has to have an entirely new market outreach, an entirely new support process, maybe even new salespeople for this new world that they're trying to enter. They also have to ask themselves, uh, is this the sort of product that even will catch the attention of people in those spaces, or will they just overlook it thinking that this is just another storage company. So, you know, for me, it really unfortunately comes down not to a technology question, which I think, you know, from the outside, it looks like they've done a pretty nice job of, but from a business process and sales thing, uh, perspective, and I'm not sure yet whether they can do that. I don't think anybody is sure. Um, but I will say that I look forward to vast um, investing in marketing and messaging and support and sales and doing the things they need to do to try to reach an entirely new audience. And if they do that, well, then, you know, the game is changed in enterprise storage. But if they don't, well, that's gonna be a bigger problem. Tom, let's take a closer look at uh, some of the uh, events that are happening in the second half of the year. Uh, live events are back. Uh, it's event season, uh, hotels are filling up uh, people are booking airline tickets, uh, they're getting passes, or are they? The pandemic has changed everything, including event participation, and I'm still hearing a lot of people saying, why should I fly across the country or around the world to attend an in-person event? Um, you know, if I'm concerned about my health, if I'm concerned about my family and lifestyle, or if I can just attend virtually from home and uh, or catch the recordings after. Um, what should we expect from uh, returning favorites like AWS reInvent, um, standby events that are changing like VMware Explore, uh, the artist formerly known as VMworld, and uh, smaller events like Flash Memory Summit? Let's start, Tom, with uh, what's going on, well, now, uh, Black Hat and DEF CON. Yeah, Black Hat kicks off this weekend. Um, we've got a lot of people who are going to be there in Vegas. And remember that it's Black Hat is the first half of the week, DEF CON's the second half of the week. Um, there's a lot of people that are kind of excited. In fact, we were talking about it this morning. It feels like a lot of companies are maybe holding some of their security stories until you know their their people can kind of uh, put them out at Black Hat. It's always an interesting time. Um, you know, just make sure you bring one of those old Nokia burner phones if you're going. Uh, you know, you don't want to connect any anything there. Um, in addition, uh, we will be doing a security field day event later on in uh, in 2023. Uh, we just came off of our last one at the end of June, and so we wanted to have a little bit of time for people to kind of you know recover from the revelry of Black Hat. So make sure you stay tuned to techbuilding.com for a little bit more information about uh, security field day when it'll be coming up. 
So next week um, is uh, also uh, Flash Memory Summit. So this is an interesting one, Tom. Um, there hasn't been really a big storage industry event for a long time. Uh, a lot of the big guys that we used to love, um, Storage Networking World and uh, the Storage World Congress and so on, uh, Tech Target events, um, those have all fallen by the wayside. And uh, yet Flash Memory Summit remains standing and it's under new management uh, with a new and excited uh an exciting group of people attending, a new lineup. Um, frankly, it's got a breath of fresh air. And uh, some of the things that are going on in the storage industry, I mean, sure, flash memory is one of them, but um, a lot more than that is going on uh, at Flash Memory Summit. So I decided that I'm gonna fly out there. Uh, I'm gonna take a look at that, uh, spend some time with those companies and kind of roll in the storage world a little bit. I really appreciate what the organizers of FMS have done. They've really kicked, uh, injected new life into this event. Um, and, and frankly, they've attracted the entire storage industry. If you're in storage or uh, any related field, uh, check out FMS. Uh, maybe it's a good idea to go. Um, right after that, uh, a little bit later in August, so the 21st through the 24th is going to be VMware Explorer. As Stephen mentioned, it is the artist formerly known as VMworld. Um, it's going to be at the uh, Venetian in... Uh, Las Vegas. We're very excited to uh, go out there. And when I say we, I mean Stephen and I. So we're both going to be out there for VMworld. Sorry, VMware Explorer. I'll get that down one of these days. Um, but we're going to be hearing from great companies like uh, VMware NSX. We're going to be hearing from AMD. And we've got a lot of other great stuff in store for you. And as always, you know, techfieldday.com is the best place to learn about what we're doing not only about the extra events that we're doing there, but also kind of getting our feel for what the conference is like, uh, what people are enjoying, what people are excited to see. You know, there's a lot of great things that come out of that, and we're very excited to be in Vegas to bring them to you. And when it comes to VMware Explorer, I think the core question is, is this going to be able to uh, revert to its old status as the king of data center IT conferences. Uh, VMware, uh, VMworld was the undisputed place to be if you were talking about uh, on-prem uh, infrastructure for the last decade. Uh, and because everything basically came home to VMware. Uh, they changed it last year into VMware Explore. Uh, they changed the theme, they changed the, uh, the, the, the focus of the thing. And I think a lot of people were somewhat alienated by that change. Um, we will see, uh, given the fact that uh, Broadcom is widely expected to receive final approval to purchase VMware and uh, that they have uh, explicitly changed how the, the, the conference works, uh, we'll see how successful it is. Um, it's funny, uh, some of the people in our community are saying, heck yeah, I'm going, that's, that's my home, I'm gonna be there. Others in the community are saying, nah, I'm going to give it a miss. I'm more interested in some of the other events in the industry. Uh, so uh, VMware, we'll see uh, what happens with that. But that being said, we will be there. We'll be there with Tech Field Day. Uh, we'll be hearing from VMware uh, as a presenter. Uh, we also, um, I'm happy to announce, we'll be hearing from AMD as a presenter. And we'll also be meeting up with a lot of the other companies in the industry there. So if you're going to VMware Explore, um, give us a shout out. Tom and I would love to talk to you. Another event that's coming up uh, fairly soon, uh, September 18, uh, is uh, SNEA uh, Storage Developer Conference. Now, I talked about Flash Memory Summit. Um, FMS is really a uh, more of a business-to-business -business, 
uh, event, uh, SDC is an entirely different animal. Think of this almost as a KubeCon for storage in that it is very academic, it's very uh, developer focused, and it's very exciting, I kid you not, to go and see what's next in storage because the people that come are people that you just don't normally get to hear from. They are literally the storage developers that are out there developing things at companies that prefer not to talk about what they're developing, but they let them talk about it there. So in years past, I have seen presentations, I have met, I've had detailed discussions with people from companies like Apple, uh, Meta, uh, Microsoft, about the internal workings of their products, things you just would not expect to be able to hear. And that's going to happen again at SDC. So I strongly recommend that if you're in the storage developer space, that you get yourself uh, out to Fremont on September 18th and uh, tune in for SNEA SDC. And we're going. In fact, I'm going to bring a whole pile of people. We're going to be doing storage field day at SDC. So I'm bringing in uh, the storage field day delegates for both SDC and storage field day presentations. And if you're going uh, and you'd like to participate in uh, storage field day or in SDC or in both, uh, give me a holler. Uh, we actually have a discount even from SNEA to, to help you out uh, as a sponsor. So, um, so, so look me up and uh, maybe I'll see you in Fremont for SNEA SDC. The next one that I'm looking forward to is uh, Edge Field Day. Now, the week before Edge Field Day is Mobile World Congress in Las Vegas. That's September 28th. Um, MWC in the U.S. is not quite MWC Barcelona. Um, it's interesting because in many cases, the uh, European version or the Asian or South American version of a, of a, of a product is a uh, conference is the sort of the stepchild. Uh, you know, you have VMware Explorer and then you have VMware Explorer Europe, you know. Uh, in the case of Mobile World Congress, uh, Mobile World Congress is in Barcelona. MWC in the United States is the stepchild. But that being said, it's going to attract a lot of people. And um, it's going to be really interesting to see what that means for the edge market. Uh, this is where, uh, you know, telcos and 5G and all these new technologies are discussed. So that's going to be an interesting one. And then the week after that, in October, uh, we're going to have Edge Field Day. Um, this is our second Edge Field Day event. I'm very much looking forward to the presentations we've got there. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, check out the Tech Field Day website, which we'll link in the show notes to learn more about Edge Field Day 2. And also check out our Utilizing Edge podcast uh, for more information about that. A few weeks later, um, in uh, October 17th through 19th, uh, we've got the OCP Summit. This is another really interesting conference because it's focused on the emerging hyperscale hardware and software market. Um, this is where, for example, last year there was a CXL forum as well as a Sonic event. If you tuned into Networking Field Day, you've heard quite a lot about Sonic. And if you turned into Utilizing Tech, you've heard a lot about CXL. Um, OCP is one of the driving forces in the next generation data center infrastructure and protocols and uh, software. And uh, so the OCP Summit is a great, great event to attend. And once again, uh, we're going to attend it with Cloud Field Day. So we will be uh, heading over to OCP Summit, and we're going to have some Cloud Field Day presentations later in the week. All of this is happening in San Jose uh, the week of October 17th. We're also looking at a bunch of uh, regional events that are coming back. And uh, here in the Ohio area, we're looking forward to attending the Information Security Summit in Cleveland, October 23rd through 27th. Uh, they reached out to us. We'll be recording the rundown live from ISS on the 25th. And um, looking forward to seeing some folks at smaller events, uh, regional events like that one. 
And the next week is going to be another busy networking week because we've got ONUG going on in New York City. Uh, we've been there several times and we've talked to a lot of the great companies that are participating there, not only as um, sponsors of the event, but as people who are on the board, uh, people who are kind of driving the direction that uh, a lot of enterprises are going, especially in the financial sector. Um, but on the other side of the country, uh, in Silicon Valley, we're actually going to be doing our next edition of Networking Field Day. Uh, we're very excited to announce that we have Graphian and Nokia that are confirmed for that event. Um, and we'll be adding more presenters every day at techfieldday.com. Just click on the link for Networking Field Day. Um, you're going to want to check that out. I'm sure that a lot of the things that we've been talking about recently on the rundown, like, you know, Ultra Ethernet and IPv6 and a bunch of other stuff are going to be hot topics there. And one of the things uh, as well, I think that we're probably going to see at, uh, at those events is some of the things that are going to be presented at supercomputing this year. So supercomputing is November 12th to 17th in Denver. Um, and supercomputing is uh, sort of like OCP. It's, a, it's, a, it's an uh, opportunity to learn about a lot of the next generation stuff that's happening, especially networking. Uh, there's a lot of networking innovation going on to support AI and um, uh, HPC applications. We heard about that from Broadcom at Networking Field Day. And I look forward to hearing from companies like um, AMD, NVIDIA, Intel on what they're doing in advanced networking. And I'm sure that we're going to hear some of that stuff at Networking Field Day, um, at Supercomputing, and also uh, at Data Field Day and AI Field Day, which we're going to be holding uh, around that time as well. So uh, we are very, very happy to announce that we're going to be diving back into the data space um, I look forward to hearing uh, not just database companies, but companies that are doing data platforms and data translations and analytics and data lakes and all sorts of very, very cool stuff. Uh, we'll have more news on the Tech Field Day website for that. And um, we're also going to be mixing in a little bit of AI as well. So uh, keep an eye on our channels. Uh, not quite ready to announce the dates and locations and companies and all that kind of stuff. But we're very excited to be looking at Data Field Day and AI Field Day in the same time frame as supercomputing. And also happening around that same time, if you're more of an um, invisible network connectivity group, then you're definitely going to want to tune in for Mobility Field Day. That'll be our 10th edition of the event. It's November 15th through the 17th. Um, We're getting a great group of companies lined up. Uh, you may recall the, network, the Mobility Field Day that we had earlier this year was jam-packed. And I have no doubt that this one will be just as full, just as exciting. We've got some new companies in the mix that we can't wait to show you. Um, like Stephen said, techfieldday.com is where we'll be releasing all that information as soon as we're ready to talk about it. And then we've got a couple more big, big events in the industry coming up in November. Um, so November 6th to 9th, we've got KubeCon in uh, Chicago this time. We were there in Detroit last year, and it was actually a great event. It actually uh, reminded me, like I said, of something like a storage developer conference and that it was so developer-centric, so end-user-centric. It, and, and, and it felt really kind of um, friendly in a way that I'm not used to from industry tech conferences. It was um, very nerdy and very cool, and I really enjoyed it. Um, considering that it's in Chicago, maybe I'll get up there, um, just like Detroit. Uh, don't think I'll drive this time, though. Uh, and then AWS reInvent, of course, um, is the gorilla in the room. Uh, November 27th through December 1st in Las Vegas. Uh, reInvent looks like it's going to take over all of Las Vegas. Um, this is the one that I'm hearing the most excitement from people about. Uh, pretty much everybody I've asked if, if, if that would be a kind of, the kind of person that goes to reInvent, I've said, are you going to reInvent? They're like, hell yeah, absolutely. I'm already booking for it. 
Um, sounds like it's going to be an absolutely massive event. Uh, usually they take up the whole Vegas Strip and the convention center and things like that. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see how big it is this year. Um, I have a sense that it's going to be a big success, and we are definitely planning on, on being there. Um, what do you think, Tom, overall, though, about the, the event space? You know, are people going? Are people staying home? Uh, what's the deal? Um, I think that more people are starting to go back. I've seen the attendance for these events starting to go up over time. And as I've talked to people who've been going to the events, they've told me that it it reminded them of what they missed about being you know stuck inside during the pandemic. It's not necessarily the sessions because those are available online. It's not necessarily the product announcements because we get those through other channels. It's the face-to-face stuff. It's meeting people. Um, forming groups, being able to talk about the cool stuff that's going on. It's the social aspect of it. And I think that that as we, you know, we, how can I miss you if you don't go away kind of thing, when that disappeared and we were relegated to doing it over Zoom, we, we lost that ability to kind of, you know, build those foundational communities. So I'm very excited to see that people are going back. I, I think that there's going to be some hesitation always. There's nothing we can do to get around that. But I think that for these larger events, the the reinvents, the VMware Explorers, um, the Black Hats, there's going to be a lot of folks who, you know, kind of they're excited to see each other. Lots of hugs, lots of handshakes. Um, But more importantly, um, getting back to what I feel makes those conferences so important. It's the exchange of knowledge amongst peers in the community. Well, it's been a very full episode, and uh, we very much appreciate you tuning in for it. Remember that we are back with you every Wednesday around 1230 Eastern Time. Uh, you can always find our show notes and linked articles on our website at gestaltit.com. Uh, YouTube videos are available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash video. If you'd prefer to listen to this in a podcast, uh, you can always do that by subscribing to the uh, Gestalt IT Rundown in your podcast application of choice. Um, We always appreciate your patronage and we love bringing you these awesome news stories that we see from around the IT industry. Uh, If you have any that you'd like to uh, send our way, please hit us up on social media. Um, You know, if there's something cool that you think we should uh, take a look at, we get a lot of um, people who are sharing those stories with us on a regular basis and we very much appreciate your contributions. Uh, We'll be back next week with another great episode. Until then, stay tuned and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.